Welcome to This Week in California Education, produced by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource. And I'm John Fensterwald, Editor-at-Large at EdSource. Well, John, here we are again this week, and we're going to look at a couple of things. One of the things we want to talk about is a pretty frank report that the California Community Colleges put out under the guidance of its chancellor, the new chancellor, Chancellor Eloy Ortiz Oakley, called Visions for Success. And we are also going to be talking with representatives from Californians for Justice who are putting up a pretty strong defense for the local control funding formula and the reforms that are in place in California. They are saying these are working despite a lot of criticism that these reforms have come under. That's right. Let's start off with uh, Vision for Success, as the report's called. What do you think of that report, Lewis? Well, I was, I was kind of really taken by the report because it's a pretty blunt assessment of what the community colleges are doing reasonably well, but also where they are falling short. And they are falling short in quite a few very significant areas. The completion rates of students who either want to get a credential of some kind, certificate of some kind, associate degree, or to transfer to a four-year university. Less than half of students after six years have achieved that goal. And actually, the report points out that the number is probably even worse than that if you take into account students who never take an English or math course or don't take a minimum of six units. And uh, another thing they also pointed out was that the average time that it takes to get an associate degree, it's supposed to take two years. That was the idea when this degree was first put into place. But the average is 5.2 years. That really surprised me as well, Lewis. But then again, when you look at the age of the students, many of the students, 40%, I believe, at community colleges are over 25. So clearly, the strategy must be to accommodate older students who take a longer time as well. Well, exactly. And one of the things that is, I don't know, sobering is that five years ago, the California Community Colleges put into place something called a Student Success Initiative. There was a big task force, came up with multiple recommendations, and uh, the governor, Governor Brown, actually signed. There was a piece of legislation that put in place several of the recommendations. And as we reported in EdSource, the completion rates didn't really change that much. Some improvements in terms of the number of courses and completion rates of courses, but in terms of the overall picture, still a long way to go. So I asked Chancellor Oakley, who took over as head of the community colleges last December, why they felt a need to come up with another report. This is the Visions for Success report. If we think back to the Student Success Act and then the subsequent Student Success Task Force, what came out of that was a series of regulatory changes or interventions or programmatic ideas that were set in motion. Well-intentioned, very progressive for its time, But the challenge we had is that they were very disjointed. They were not done in a comprehensive fashion uh, that looked at the entire system as a whole, even though they got us on the road that we are now on. So what I wanted to do and what our team here in the Chancellor's Office wanted to do was really paint a picture of what does California need from our colleges? 
What does California need from our colleges and what should our colleges look at look like in the next five and 10 years? And what are the most pressing issues that we need to focus relentlessly on? Incorporating the work that's been done through the Student Success Task Force, but more clearly and more intentionally planning a flag about where we want to be as a system in order to ensure that California remains competitive. So, Lewis, what are some of the goals or objectives of that report? Well, pretty ambitious. One is calling for a 20% increase in the number of community college students who acquire these associate degrees and the credentials or certificates that they are seeking, a 35% increase in the number of students who transfer to the University of California or the Cal State campus, and uh, some longer-range goals like over 10 years to actually eliminate the achievement gap in performance looking at different student subgroups. That's very ambitious and all well and good statewide, but it's a very decentralized system. So how do you achieve that? Or how does he propose to achieve that in a, in a system with what, 113, 114 different colleges? 114 colleges, each of which has a board of trustees that's overseeing them. And so actually I asked Chancellor Eloy Oakley as to how he saw that playing itself out. The first thing I think we need to do is to acknowledge that the strength of our system lies in the fact that we are in 114 communities and have the opportunity to adapt to the needs of those 114 communities. That is an advantage. That is an opportunity. And that is what makes us different from the CSU and the UC. I believe that's a strength. I also think that the system, the 114 colleges, are hungry for increased leadership and direction from the chancellor's office. That's certainly the input that we've received from the field. That for them, in order for them to accomplish the goals that all of them want to achieve, they would like some clearer direction, some firmer direction, and some clear expectations and an accountability framework from our chancellor's office. We're not telling them what to do. We're telling them what we need to accomplish based on the best information we're getting from our stakeholders in the state of California and the best research that we can tap into. So isn't it one of the challenges that financial aid is is lacking, even though the, the cost of taking a course is, I guess, the cheapest in the nation? California community colleges are one of the biggest bargains, arguably the, the biggest bargain in higher education in the United States. And uh, the problem, though, if you dig a little deeper, because so many students are part-time, they do not qualify for as much financial aid as full-time students. And so actually, it is very hard for these students to get their full costs of their college covered, even for low-income students who get a waiver of the actual fee, which is $46 per credit, which is you know, incredibly reasonable. So we asked Chancellor Oakley about these Cal Grants and what he plans to do about getting the current system changed. What we're raising is the point that perhaps the way that we have funded student aid in California no longer meets the needs of the state of California, and we need to rethink this. So we're perfectly willing to engage in, in the advocacy that we need to to raise this issue and to bring the smartest minds together to think about how we restructure the Cal Grant system. Undoubtedly, it will mean working with the legislature, so we have a lot of um, educating to do. 
Another issue that I talked with Chancellor Oakley about was this current requirement that students pass an intermediate algebra course in order to not only get the associate degree, but to transfer to CSU and UC. And uh, actually, we ran a piece by Chris Edley, the former dean of the UC Berkeley School of Law, in which he said this was really a civil rights issue because it, particularly students of color don't get through this huge hurdle. And most students don't really need intermediate algebra in their careers later on. And uh, Chancellor Oakley says that he is going to be moving aggressively to remove this as a requirement. We have been looking at this issue in the California Community Colleges because we think it's the right thing to do. I have gone through my hate mail today, and clearly there's a lot of people who think that this is an attempt to water down uh, academic standards for students of color in California. Nothing could be further from the truth. The fact of the matter is this affects every stripe of Californian and every stripe of American in our community colleges. What we want is for more people to have access to quality education and the skills they need to enter the workforce. Somewhere along the line, we've decided that algebra is the sole measure of that capacity, and we think that there are other rigorous math sequences that will not only provide students with better skills and more applicable skills to their major or course of study, but also give them the kinds of life skills they need to more actively and meaningfully participate in our society. That was interesting, but they can do it at the, with an associate's degree, but you still need to cooperate with the CSU. How, how does it relate to that? Well, good point. And we did ask the chancellor about that. And yes, this would require getting CSU and the University of California to accept that intermediate algebra wouldn't necessarily be a requirement. If you're going into a career or taking courses in the humanities or social sciences where you may never need intermediate algebra. So there is discussion happening on that end as well. And clearly for this to work, all three systems would have to buy into this. Actually, this discussion about requirements to get into the community colleges, to get the credentials, get into CSU and UC, really also reflects on the kind of preparation students are getting at the K-12 level. Sure. Now, John, you were at the state board meeting last week, and the state board has come under some criticism because this whole local control funding formula, or LCFF as it's called, they've come under some criticism that based on the initial two years of test scores, there hasn't been a huge narrowing of the achievement gap overall. And there has been some movement with some subgroups, but overall, we still have a significant achievement gap. But you attended a pretty interesting rally. Yeah, it was an interesting rally organized by a student organization, Californians for Justice, which is a statewide student-led social justice organization based in Oakland. And after the rally, I had a chance to speak with Tara Nishida, who is the executive director, and Robert Page, who is a high school graduate who spoke eloquently at the rally. He's now a student organizer. You had an interesting rally at the state board meeting earlier this month, Tara, and I wonder if you could tell me why it was important, why you did it on that busy day when it was uh, such a long agenda at the, 
at the board. Well, we've just noticed there's a growing negative narrative about local control funding formula, and students and parents were really concerned. We're concerned because there is a, a way of kind of overblowing this in the media about what's not working on LCFF. And even more than that, we have a governor that's about to term out in 2018, and a third of legislators are new. So right now, it's actually a critical moment to ensure the long-term success of local control funding formula. And so our policymakers specifically know what a game changer local control funding formula was, specifically for students of color. So part of the buzz, I think, is a couple stories said that recent results of testing showed that there was no closing of the achievement gap under under local control funding formula. Obviously, that concerns you too. So what's what's the message here that you're trying to say? Well, John, there are two things. First, let's not uh, let's not hide the fact that for 40 years um, we did a huge disservice to our public education system. Uh, schools have been under resourced and underfunded. Students didn't have basic services like desks or access to counselors and teachers. So, in just three years, we expect LCFF to magically make that go away. I don't think so. Uh, Secondly, I think we really see the lived experiences of folks like Robert and others on the ground all around the state. We see proof and evidence that there are things that are bright spots about local control funding formula. And the data actually backs that up as well. So, Robert, you're a student at Oakland, and you graduated before the local control funding formula was passed, and now you're organizing students. And what was the message that you said so eloquently at the rally about the impact of of the new law? Well, uh, pretty much that... LCFF, the local control funding formula, is working. I mean, I've been in school before it passed, and I've seen the effects of it after. And for me personally, going to one of the biggest OUSD schools, public schools, um, and knowing that there's over 2,000 students at my high school and only five counselors. So just imagine the difficulty trying to see a counselor. I didn't find out I wasn't on track to graduate until it was actually time to graduate. So it's just... With that, and then the fact that me and my friends are sitting on tables in the back of a classroom, I mean, of course, we didn't know what that meant for us because we're, you know, we're in high school, so we don't pay attention to that type of stuff. But then after LCFF and just seeing what it's doing for schools now, you know, there's L- there's L caps, and students actually are on the decision making team. So when you go around to schools like Oakland Tech and the like, you can actually see an increase in the resources and students are giving you the kinds of feedback that you didn't experience yourself when you were in school? Absolutely. When I first went back, I actually went to a student forum where the school was taking feedback from the students on what they think they need more of and what's what's helping and what's not helping. So just being able to see that, I knew that we were on a better track. So I'm not saying, you know, things are amazing, but I've, I've seen the growth in my school itself. So, Taryn, if I can interpret that, I think that one of the messages you're giving is that you may not see it in test results right away, but you are seeing it in terms of resources in the school that make a difference to kids, and that's the first stage of the impact you might see. Is that is that it or, or not? Well, John, we actually are seeing improvements in test scores across the board and specifically for low-income students, but I don't think that's the best and only measure of an achievement gap. We're seeing suspensions go down. It's a record low right now. And I would argue it's 
a lot of that has to do with students like Robert and other marginalized voices being at the table who are pushing for uh, different kinds of data that matter to them, different kinds of resources like restorative justice and counselors and social workers. That is a measurable difference. And the only reason that was possible was because of an equitable funding formula. Now, it's not that you're totally satisfied with the law, right? Because you're, you have, you're in there almost every meeting talking about the importance of school climate and some changes you'd like to see. What, what are they? Yes, we definitely have a number of areas we need to improve around LCFF. But I think the point we're trying to make is let's actually change that conversation and focus on bright spots of where it is working, because there are those places around the state. Let's lift up what those districts are doing well, what those communities have put in place to do this well. And then let's do more of that. Let's resource that more from the state level, from the legislature to strengthen LCFF, not disband it. So one of the messages you're trying to give is not necessarily to the state board, which is still committed to LCFF, but perhaps to legislators who may be getting a mixed message that you think is inaccurate? That's right. You know, a third of legislators are new. uh, So a lot of them just don't know about LCFF. And then we have a lot of like political uh, changes happening at the state level. And we need to, again, students and parents saying LCFF is here to stay. Let's focus on strengthening it and move away from this conversation that it isn't working because the reality is LCFF is healing deep wounds caused by decades of underfunding and under-resourcing students of color. And you would agree with that, Robert? Yeah, I I mean, I would agree with that. I just gave a few examples of how I've seen it work, you know, just straight out. Um, But of course, like Terrence said, it's reduced suspensions, which in my time, it was a big thing. Students were getting suspended so much that they eventually just dropped out of high school. And that's the case for a lot of my friends. So just seeing that and knowing that student suspension is decreasing is a win in itself. Mm -hmm. So let's not try to dismantle something that's doing so much good for underserved students like me and others like me that's in the same position. Well, good. Listen, thanks for coming in and talking with us about this important subject. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Well, John, that was an interesting conversation. And uh, Taryn and Robert actually made some interesting points that we really only have two years of test scores, actually only one to compare with the previous year. The new test scores, the third year of the Smarter Balanced test scores will be coming out in the next couple of months. But at least so far, we don't really have much to go on and to expect to see a significant narrowing of the achievement gap may be too much to expect. Well, I found it interesting that uh, Mike Kirst, the president of the state board, and others are urging patience. They're saying, you know, give it some time. But here's actually a group of students who are the intended beneficiaries of this law. In fact, they're the ones, in fact, we want to see an impact. And they're saying, look, things are happening in a school. You may not see it in test results. That's not the only measure, but we're getting more resources. This means a lot to us and give it some time. And that's a much more powerful message, I think, than simply state officials to say, you know, give it time. And it's also the case that, as was pointed out, that California is trying to get away from a narrow focus on just using test scores as and standardized tests at that as a measure of how well students, schools, or districts are performing. And in fact, it's not only California. The new Every Student Succeeds Act also is promoting this idea of multiple measures. But it does seem like it's very hard to get out of that mindset of looking at progress 
based just on test scores. Well, the next measure that comes out this fall will be a college and career readiness indicator, which will look at a, a much more comprehensive view of you know what are the students graduating with? How do you measure their success? And I think that begins to change the conversation. And I think then you will begin to see in a broader sense whether the local control funding formula will be working. Well, these are some of the big issues, John, which we won't resolve this week, but certainly important ones. Right. That wraps it up for this week. I did want to remind those of you listening that registration is open for Ed Source's annual symposium, which is coming up on October 5th. This year, the theme is Education for All, Serving California's Vulnerable Children. And you can go on our website and uh, sign up for that. October 5th is the, is the date, and it's in Oakland. And one more thing before we leave. If you like what you've heard, kindly give us a good review on iTunes or whatever service you use for your podcast. Okay, we're not afraid of shameless promotion. So thanks for that, and thanks for listening. I'm Lewis Friedberg with John Fensterwald. Thanks to our producer, Sarah Tan. For more on these stories, go to our website at edsource.org. See you next week.